this week. Pretty short. Who wants to volunteer? We'll take that off the screen. Dave's going to volunteer. Take that off the screen for Dave so he doesn't cheat. There you go. All right, Dave. Nice and loud so I can hear you. Good enough. I didn't, wasn't married to Grace at the 
married to her in the process. And after that, we had a son. Again, didn't know that that was going to happen when it happened. I didn't know that I'd have a home here in the neighborhood. God blessed us with a wonderful home just north of here, not too far, where we could be in the neighborhood and we could be around you guys and be close to the church. That's definitely been a blessing. My job has been another blessing. He started that right after I graduated college. A job where I could work full-time there and still be a pastor as well. So it's definitely been a blessing. I'm not saying that if you follow God and if you do what He wants you to do, life's going to be easy. It's really not. There are many challenges in our lives. Our life isn't easy. But with trials, there's always blessings that we can see that come directly from God. And it's just amazing to see those. Like Rich shared last week, we need to develop a mission trip mindset every day of our lives. When we do, God will bless us. God will bless our lives. Even though life might be busy, like you all just said, your life is busy. And you might be maybe even a little scared as to what's coming up in your future. You'll have peace from God when you're living that mindset. He'll give you a peace. And, and you'll know that you're in His will. And that'll give you peace as well. Just a quick story before I get started. When I started college nearly 12 years ago, yes, I'm old. Not as old as some, but I'm old. It seems like forever long ago. Start, start college 12 years ago. But I was a believer, but my life goals, goals were totally different than they are now. I had two goals. I went to CSU for two reasons. Number one, I went to be an athlete. I was uh, a walk-on on the track team up there. And number two was to join my brother's church. My brother had gone to Fort Collins, gone to CSU, and he got saved. And he was really getting involved in his church. So I wanted to go there and be part of that. My goals at the time weren't really good. They were... One, to be a great college athlete, and two, to have a degree that I could make a lot of money with. Those were really my only goals at the time. I, I had a desire for fame. I had a desire for a big house and lots of money. But in my first year of college, God spoke to my heart, and He changed those things. I imagine a lot of you have had at one point in your life those same type desires. But God, through my freshman year, He helped me. He changed my heart, and my heart did a 180-degree turn. God showed me through His Word and just through His people, through the church, that there was so much to live for. So much more to life than those things, than money, than fame. After my freshman year in college, I went on a short-term mission trip to Kiev, Ukraine with several of you here. I went, Sarah was there, Daryl was there. Several of us went there. We spent a couple weeks there. It was led, our team was led by Bill Young, who is now a pastor in Salt Lake City. And we stayed in this little, I'm not, it's a Catholic school, some type of little school, I can't remember. Do you remember what it was? It's kind of like a convent or, or something. <laughs> There wasn't anyone there. It was empty. We were the only ones staying there. But it was different. We had bunk beds all in one room. All the guys slept in one room. All the girls slept in another room. We took showers with cold water, because I think the water here was like this big. Held maybe three cups of water, so you got about 10 seconds of a warm shower, and then it was ice cold. So it was definitely a little different. Um, it was a shock to me. I'd never been out of the country. I'd never been anywhere besides what I knew. I'd always just been here and had pretty much everything that I needed. I'd grown up and it was pretty much easily taken care of when I was here. My needs were easily met. But now I was in a place there in Ukraine. I didn't know anything. I couldn't even read a sign. I couldn't tell what I was walking into. I looked in and went, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and I walked in. Uh, I couldn't order anything off a menu. I looked at the menu and it all made no sense. Even at McDonald's, which I kind of knew, I just knew the picture and kind of figured out how to sound out the sound of the picture I wanted. So, um, so I didn't really know. It was, it was really odd. It was hard. It was something that I hadn't expected at all. Um, during that time, though, I learned that I had to really trust God, and I had to rely on Him for His wisdom and His strength. I couldn't do it on my own. I had to trust that He was going to take care of me and that He was going to use my weaknesses. He was going to use my weakness of not being able to speak the language, of not knowing the culture, and all those different things. I had to trust that the Holy Spirit was really there and that He was active that he was 
was speaking through me, even though I didn't know that the person I was sharing with was really understanding what I was saying. I was speaking to my translator, my translator was translating, but were they really getting across the point that I was trying to make? Were they really um, getting that thing that I was trying to get this person to understand across to that person? It was hard. It was hard to not be able to communicate with someone. I felt so inadequate. And I imagine all of us did there on the team. If any of you have been on a mission trip where you didn't know the language, you probably felt pretty inadequate. But he used each one of us. He used our team there. And we led people to Christ. And the church was there. We have a a sister church there that was just starting at the time 12 years ago, or 11 years ago, I guess. And and now it's a church that's still there. You can see it. You'll see some of the pastors once in a while in your... If you're reading the daylight, you'll see there's a, a church in Kiev, Ukraine there. Um, Steve Nelson, I think, is there. This is the name of the pastor there. So it's still there. This church is still there that we helped a long time ago, which is really cool. And it's continually growing. Now I think they have multiple churches there in Kiev that they've spread out. So it's really cool. It's encouraging to see that God uses us even though we're weak. He can, he can bring people to Christ. So through my first year in college and that mission trip, God made it clear to me that it wasn't going to be easy. This life wasn't going to be challenge or trial free at all. It was actually living the life of that mission trip mindset was going to be rewarding. But not only here, not only while we're here, it's not just going to be rewarding while we're here, it's going to be challenging. But for eternity, it's going to be rewarding to have that mindset. Now, I'm not telling you by any means that I've arrived at that mindset, that I can tell you every day I have the mission trip mindset in my life. But that's my goal. That's my goal in life. I realize the most important thing that we can do while we're here on earth is to share the gospel. It's to tell people about God's love. It's to help them understand what they can have for eternity as well. This morning we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 14. We're going to read it. I want you to pay attention to a couple things as we're reading through it. I want you to pay attention to the way that Paul and Barnabas lived their lives. Look at, read between the lines and look at the way they were living their lives. Pay attention to the trials that they faced and the attitude that they had towards those trials. Also pay attention to the love that they had, both for the lost and for the believers there in Acts. So let's open up. Everybody has a Bible. There's some underneath your chairs. We're going to read through this together. It's on page 1093, Acts chapter 14. We're just going to jump in. I'm going to give you a little history of these couple towns in the area. And then we're going to look at, at some practical ways that we can grow our mission trip mindset. Paul they called Hermes because he, because he was the chief speaker. 
launched out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We, we too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from the worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowds, crowds from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Syria, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So we're looking this morning at the second part, which had, had shared the first part of Paul's first missionary journey. But this happened somewhere around 46 to 48 A.D. in those years. We'll start off by showing you a map of, of this area where they went on their missionary journey with a few pictures right after this of the three different towns. They're really not towns anymore, but you'll see that. So Rich and Shed, they started off over there in Antioch, the first red line, the arrows, and they went down to Cyprus, and they came up into Perga. And then they were, at the beginning of this chapter, they're in Antioch. And they go to Iconium. I don't know if you can see. I should have put that pointer, but there's Iconium. And then from there, they went to Lystra, and then Derby, and then they went back through and back to Antioch, all the way back across. So you can see this area, the Mediterranean Sea, Jerusalem is right down here. So to give you an idea of where this is at. And then this first picture is what's left of Iconium. Nothing. There's not a whole lot left of any of these cities. Just so you know, there's some pretty pictures of fields. But maybe it'll give you an idea of sort of what it looked like in the area. Imagine a city right there in the middle. But Iconium was an ancient city in South Central Asia Minor. Uh, by the third century, it was pretty much an independent city. Although a significant part of that portion, uh, a significant portion of that population had a lot of the culture that was in that area, a lot of culture and beliefs. So it was probably among that group of people that the Jewish people stirred up all the opposition that we saw to Paul there in Acts 14. Today it's no longer Iconium, but there's a town nearby called Konya. The next one is Lystra. Beautiful, beautiful city. Imagine a city there. <laughs> Again, not much of the left of the city. But it was a small town in Asia Minor. It was established as a Roman colony by Augustus about 6 BC. Zeus and Hermes, now, remember we, we heard them, the people thinking that Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes, they were linked to a local cult in that city, which developed around a legend. There was a legend at the time that Zeus and Hermes had actually visited this city at one time. So there was a legend, and this cult started believing that as truth. And so that explains a lot of their identification of when Paul and Barnabas walked in, because the first thing that Paul did when he walked in is heal the crippled guy that they knew, and the guy got up and walked. So they thought that the, the two guys, the Paul and Barnabas, were gods. 
created, so they had a lot of belief in these other gods. And another interesting fact about Mystra is that's actually where Timothy comes from. So a little later in the Bible, that's, that was his home. And the last one is Derby. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> it was a small city. Not, there was, I couldn't find a whole lot of info about this one, but it was about 45 miles east of Iconium, which you saw on the map. So there's not a whole lot we know that they know about Derby. But. All right, now we're taking a, a little look at the, the map and a little of the pretty pictures. Let's take a look um, at some of the practicals, practical ways that we can have that mission trip mindset that we talked about. So we're going to have six different ways, six practical ways that we can grow in our mission trip mindset. First thing that we see, and I think it's pretty evident, and I probably share this a lot, uh, I don't, maybe it's something that's on my heart a lot, I don't know, but throughout the whole chapter is that Paul and Barnabas speak boldly for God. That's the first thing I think we can learn. Now remember, Paul and Barnabas weren't from these cities. They weren't from Iconium, they weren't from Lystra, they weren't from Derby, they were traveling there. They were sharing there. So they didn't necessarily know the city. They didn't know the culture of the area. They didn't necessarily know anyone at all living there, or even a whole lot of the language. But this obviously didn't slow them down. We see that in boldness. Let's look again at verses 1 through 3. If we just flip back and look at those. It says that Iconium, Paul and Barnabas, went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly to the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs. So there's two really cool things we can pull out of those group of verses. The first one is it says there that Paul and Barnabas spoke effectively, so effectively, that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Now this is one of the biggest downfalls I think we can have as humans, as, as people going out there sharing our faith. One of our biggest fears. We tell ourselves that we're not smart enough. I don't know this stuff good enough. I'm not eloquent enough in my speech. I can't put two sentences together when I'm trying to share my faith. We say that there's no way I can, I can clearly communicate the gospel. None of those things are needed, though, to share the gospel effectively. If we read the Bible, it says we simply have to trust God and believe. The Holy Spirit's going to speak through us, just like He says He will. Another couple of verses to back this up in Luke 21, 14 and 15, it says this. It says, But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, Paul writes, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Again, the end of that, he says, I came to you with weakness and weakness and in fear, with much trembling. He was afraid. Paul was afraid. But he says his words were not his own. He didn't come with wise and persuasive words. He wasn't the best speaker that there was out there. But he came with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. I really like this quote from E.M. Bounds. He says, talking about Paul Barnabas here, he says that their preaching was not the performance of an hour, but rather the overflow of a life. It wasn't something that they prepared for. You don't see these guys writing down and preparing a, a long teaching and then they walk in and share that teaching. They just walked in and shared from their life. They shared what God had done in their life. 
We need to look for opportunities to speak for God boldly all the time. Maybe right now, some of you, I, I've heard it in a prayer meeting, maybe, I think David said it, maybe it's a classmate that you've had for this last year. The semester's winding down. You may not see these people again. Maybe you've never invited them to church. You've never given them a track. You've never given them a car to the firehouse. Do it. Maybe it's with a coworker. Ned shared an encouraging story with the coworker he'd had this morning that he got a chance to, to go meet with the guy outside of work and share God with him. Do that. Find opportunities. Look at them. Maybe it's the checkout person at the grocery store that knows you. Every time you come in to buy your groceries, they're like, oh, it's you again. I, really, I know who you are and you have a relationship with them. We need to be looking for those opportunities and we need to speak boldly when we get them. The other thing I think those first group of verses show is that hardships and trials didn't stop all martyrs and those guys from speaking boldly. How many of you here have been on any kind of mission trip at all? Any kind? Good. A lot of you guys. Why is it when we go on mission trips, we get out there and we share the gospel even though we're scared to death sometimes? Why is it that we do it? We, we drive to El Paso or we drive to Phoenix or we drive to Seattle, wherever we're going, and we share. And we share boldly for a week. We do it because we know that's our reason for going. We know that our whole reason for going there is to share the gospel. We need to look at our life that way. That's our life. Our life is one big mission trip. We're here. God has sent us on a mission trip to Denver. And we need to look for opportunities every day that we can to speak boldly. The next thing I think that another practical of having this mission trip mindset is that we never give up. Let's read verse 2 again. If we look at verse 2, it says, But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Paul and Barnabas is in the second verse that, that when they were, they were in Iconium there. And we see that they faced opposition right out of the gate. Now they could have easily just tucked tail and run and gone to some other city where the people weren't poisoned. <laughs> Again, poisoned their minds, where their minds were being poisoned against them. They could have decided it was too hard to share their faith and gone somewhere else. But what we see is they continued to share. And God confirmed what they were saying by allowing them to do miraculous signs and wonders. A little further on in verses 4 through 7, we see more opposition. It says the people in the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. I really like that last verse in verse 7. They were threatened with being killed with death. Yet it says they continued to preach the good news. How many of you, if you heard you were going to be stoned, maybe you were going to be thrown in prison, maybe you were going to be thrown in jail, maybe you were going to be kicked out of school, maybe you were going to lose your job, how many of you would continue to share your faith in those situations? These men faced that, they faced that opposition, they decided they weren't ever going to give up. They fled to Lystra and Derby and continued to share the gospel, but as we read there, they faced more opposition. In verses 19 and 20, it says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They not only faced opposition, but Paul faced death. He was stoned. Everybody thought he was dead. The people stoning him thought he was dead. And they drug him outside the city. But again, that didn't stop Paul at all. It says that he got up, he went back in the city, and then he left the next day to go to Derby. Any guesses what he did there? We see it. It says he shared the gospel, and a lot of people got saved. 
He then turned around and he went right back to that city where he was stoned. He went back to Lystra. And he went back to Iconium. And he encouraged all the new believers there and built them up in their faith. Wow. Now that's a man who doesn't give up. We need to have that same attitude. We must never give up, no matter what opposition we face when we're sharing our faith. Third practical is that we need to be humble and honest. I think we really see this humbleness and this honesty in Paul and Barnabas when they went to Lystra and all the people there thought they were Zeus and Hermes. Remember Lystra, again, there was that cult there that believed that a legend that Zeus and Hermes had come there at some time and again due to Paul healing that man they thought that they were Zeus and Hermes. Let's look again at those verses. 11, verses 11 through 18. It says, When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted the Lyconian language, the gods had come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We two are only men. Even like you, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, you had all nations go their way. But he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they have difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. The priests there thought that they were Zeus. They thought that they were Zeus and Hermes. He was ready to sacrifice to them. They'd already got the sacrifices there. And Paul and Barnabas probably didn't quite understand what was going on, what, what the people's big thing was, because, again, they weren't from the city. They didn't know that there was this history of, of Zeus and, and Hermes there. But when they realized what was going on, they, they tore their clothes. They tore, it says they tore their clothes, which is a pattern with a, an expression of just protest and sorrow over what was happening and over what the people wanted to do. It says that they rushed out into the crowd and they tried to tell them, hey, we're human like you. We're not gods. We're not gods. Don't think we are. And they tried to share, again, they shared the good news about Christ with them and tell them, told them to turn from their evil ways, told them to turn from these, these idols, these other gods they were worshipping. But remember, just because we're on a mission for God doesn't mean that we can become proud or arrogant because we know where our eternity lies, because we know we're going to heaven, because we know we have the answer. doesn't mean we can be proud or arrogant. Paul and Barnabas knew the word of God inside and out, and yet they were going to, and they knew where they were going to spend eternity. Yet they humbled themselves, and they told these people to turn from their sin. We must humble ourselves before the lost. We have the attitude that we can see anyone saved, that we have all the right words to say, and uh, we're going to see these people saved, we're going to fail. If that's our attitude, we need to be humble. We also need to be honest with them. I think this is a big one. Uh, I know I've, I've shared the gospel a lot of times, and, and someone asks you a question, and you don't know the answer. It's so easy for us just to make something up. To say, oh, uh, that blah, blah, blah. That's the answer. But there's nothing wrong with telling them, hey, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't really know, but hey, you know what? I'll go research it and I'll get back to you. And I'll, I'll tell you what the answer is. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to have an answer for every argument that's going to come up. Again, I've had multiple times where I've done this, where I've been sharing the gospel and someone brought up a question that I'd never heard before. And I didn't know the answer to. But it helped me. It helped me learn my faith better. Because I went out and I researched it and I got back to him with an answer and shared it with him. And so now the next time I got asked that question, I knew the answer. I read a verse in my quiet time a little earlier this week that spoke to this topic. It's in 
pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. That was Paul praying for Philemon. So he would be active in sharing his faith so that he'd understand it. So he'd understand his faith better. So he'd understand all the good things that he had. When we're honest with the lost and we're willing to admit to him that we don't know everything, and we're humble before him, it gives us a chance to learn more about our faith, to be stronger in our faith. And for those questions we don't know the answers to, it gives us a chance to research them and to look them up, to talk to our brothers and sisters here and find answers, and it strengthens our faith. The fourth, fourth thing is that we can share God's power and glory. We need to share what God has done. In Paul and Barnabas' plea to the people, the mystery they shared exactly what God had done. We see an example of this in verses 15 through 17. It says, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. They pointed at specific things there. They pointed that, hey, God made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. He gives you rain for your crops and he provides plenty of food for you and fills your hearts with joy. We need to learn a lesson from Paul and Barnabas right here. We need to share with the lost who God is and what he's done. Each one of these, each one of us has some examples of that in our own lives where God did some amazing thing. Maybe that is rescuing you from a life of alcohol and drugs, if that was your bent. Maybe it's helping you with depression, something that you're fighting with. Maybe it's just rescuing you from a life that was headed down a fruitless trail, a fruitless trail where you were up to no good. God's power and glory is evident in each one of those cases, in each one of those situations. Don't underestimate the power and the glory of what God's done in your life and what effect that may have on someone's heart who's lost. You don't know where they've been. You don't know the situations they've been in. They might have been in the exact same place you are. And, and when you share that truth with them, they see light at the end of the tunnel. Sharing what God has done in your life by sharing your testimony is one of the most effective ways to share the gospel because they can see it in your life. They can see it standing there right there in front of you going, hey, here's where you were and here's where you are. Wow, that's amazing. I really like what we're doing on AIM on Thursday nights. Each week, somebody shares their testimony. That's sharing the gospel every week very clearly. And it's really cool. It's really effective. People see it, and they see your life, and they want it. The fifth thing that we can do is remain true to the faith, even through hardships. This one seems like a no-brainer in this chapter. But how many of you have suffered a, a hardship because of your faith? All of us probably have in some way or another. Maybe you were called out in one of your classes when you were in college by a professor because he knew you were a Christian, and he just wanted to kind of make fun of you in front of the class. Maybe one of your friends there was an unbelieving friend found out that you were a Christian or they knew you were a Christian and they made fun of you in front of a group of their friends. Maybe someone challenged your faith and told you that Christianity is, is a bunch of hooey. It's not real. It's a false religion. Those are hardships. Those are hard things. But let's look at one example of hardship that Paul faced. And I want you to pay close, really close attention again to his response to it. That's the verses again, 19 through 21. It says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Paul didn't run away or stop sharing his faith because he faced 
that. Would that be your reaction? Would your reaction be if you were nearly stoned to death or thrown in prison or whatever? Would it be to just go right back out there and share your faith? Is that your reaction to those trials, to the hardships in your life? That was just one occasion where Paul was persecuted. If you look in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28, it's kind of Paul's rant. It's kind of Paul saying, hey, this is what's happened to me. But he lays out a pretty good list of other hardships he had faced. It says this in verses 23 through 28, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. 